The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Jay. And I am Mike. On this episode, we'll be hearing Mike's thoughts on 2022's Home Team, a Happy Madison production assigned to torment him, not by me, but by the team at fellow podcast film spotting. After that, we'll go over our bottom five teams and then introduce a new segment of our show called Kick Two, Pick Two. It's all sure to be a lot of fun for everyone but Mike, <laughs> who will have to relive and make sense of his 95 minutes watching Kevin James play former New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton. But before we hear his thoughts, let's roll the trailer. Coach Payton has been suspended for a full year. Sean, what are you doing here? Just came to watch my son play football. Played a great game out there. He lost zero to 40 can't help it if all your teammates are horrible. He, he was good too. A couple of good guys. You're only here because you got suspended. Being Sean Payton's son ain't easy. It may be easier on him if you were on that field with us every day. I... Ah, you do need help. The Warriors did lose, just to be totally clear. Mike, you're perhaps one of the most passionate fans of football I know. And in another universe, you'd be here with one of our other friends debating pass interference calls and pointing out the absurdity of the tuck rule. Instead, you're here with a guy who thinks the tuck rule is Ted Levine's hidden Johnson move in The Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Two things can be true at the same time. Also, let's take it easy on the tuck rule. I just want to say that. <laughs> That's what Ted Levine said. Exactly. <laughs> and yet in both universes, it's possible that you'd be on your podcast chatting about the Happy Madison Netflix co-production Home Team, starring Adam Sandler crony and occasional mall cop Kevin James, a semi-true story about the year suspension served by NFL coach Sean Payton. Watching this movie could have just as easily been a punishment for the failure of a football playoff bracket. Mm -hmm. as it is punishment for, in this reality, your woeful performance in Film Spotting Madness, <laughs> a bracket-style competition that pits movies against movies on the basis of their perceived quality, classic status, etc. And each year you compete against Film Spotting podcast hosts, Adam Kempinar and Josh Larson, as well as their producer, Sam Van Hallgren, to see who comes up with the bracket that most closely matches the final winners of countless film battles, a bout of madness you're labeled the godfather of for bringing the idea to them. Yeah, I lost it my own game. <laughs> <laughs> and every year, there's a winner and a loser in your friendly competition yep. for best bracket. And that loser, it's been the tradition that he watched the latest Adam Sandler movie Netflix and Sandler's Happy Madison Productions have released. Yep. These have included The Ridiculous Six, uh, The Do-Over, and 
the 131 minute long Sandy Wexler. <laughs> Be glad you did not lose that year. So these all sound like to me cinematic prison sentences, but apparently Sandler sort of upped his cinema game of late with uncut gems and like the hustle. So instead you were assigned with something else from Happy Madison. Yeah. Which looks about as rough as the usual Sandler own yep. output. And that's this home team. I was more than happy to yield my own choice for this episode so that you could watch this for our podcast. So with that enormous setup out of the way, is the only universe in which Mike Merrigan loves home team the universe where he hosts a show devoted to the acting mastery of Rob Schneider? <laughs> Yeah, I guess maybe in the uh, the multiverse, there's probably a multiverse where I love this movie. It's not the one that we're talking about right now. Uh. It's definitely not the one that we live in because I had to pay my dues after having lost Film Spotting Madness. Lucky me. The good news is somehow by some amazing twist of fate, I didn't get one that has Adam Sandler in it, like doing shabba-de-doo in, in, for 90 minutes. So yeah, I thought, right. okay, cool. Home team, I hadn't even heard of this. And what a weird idea for a movie. <laughs> what, who is sitting around going, I wonder what professional football coach Sean Payton did in the year off that he had <laughs> when he was suspended for Bounty Gate, uh, which I would explain, but people who care about this podcast don't care about that. So, uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm super curious. You've got to explain well, it. What was it? Basically, what happened was that the uh, the New Orleans Saints were accused of having a, like a pay for injury scandal where the coaches were sort of paying their players extra money if they tried to purposefully injure other opponents, which, oh. which is a shitty thing to do. This has nothing to do with paper towels. Nothing to do with bounty. Oh, nope, you're right. That's <laughs> okay. a whole different thing. All right. Yeah. So so in that case, never mind. I don't care. This is like your Star Trek episode. This is what it is. Where you're like, what is it about? So. <laughs> Football's the one with the with the ball with the black spots yep. and the white spots on it that you kick with your foot. I think so. Right? It, everywhere else in the world. Yes, that's correct. Here, it's where a movie could be made about what Sean Payton did in the year that he wasn't coaching the New Orleans Saints, the answer seems to be that he went to Northeast Texas, East North Texas. There's a lot of Texas. He went to part of Texas and helped coach his 12 year old son's football team. Now setting aside how Bush league it is for a professional NFL coach to roll into a, a child's football league and be like, do you mind if I help? Like what a dick move. Right? Like, you get some like graphic designer dad that had the job previously. Yeah, right. And then Sean Payton rolls up in his, in his Mercedes, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and as the story goes and it's depicted in this film, he shows up, the team goes undefeated for the rest of the season, presumably oh because Super Bowl winning head coach Sean Payton was their coach. And then they get to like the big championship game where the other team had an, an offense that Sean Payton wasn't familiar with. So he picks up the phone and calls coaching legend Bill Parcells for some advice on how to coach this child's football game. Now, look, I get mm. it. It's Texas. There's really no such thing as an unimportant football game in Texas. Football that's game. Fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's the premise that we lead with. And I got to tell you, so right off the top, Kevin James playing Sean Payton is is. Can I, I, I have to ask, yeah. I have to ask this because this was one of the fundamental questions I had. Every time you watch 
a real life recreation on the big screen. So something like, let's say, The Perfect Storm, mm. right? With George Clooney. Yeah. That ship captain did not look like George Clooney. Right. You're talking serious upgrade. Yeah. It's always like a serious yeah. upgrade. What the hell happened here? Like, which do you think Sean Payton was pissed off? Because Kevin James is a schlub. He's like a schlubby, yeah. oafish. And Sean Payton's kind of like... A, pretty decent looking guy yeah no that's like, for sure what, what happened uh, he must not have been angry about it because as the story goes this movie was released the same day that sean payton announced his retirement from the nfl and the gentleman wow. is involved in the film i'll get to that later but what the oh, movie i thought is he about, was in it oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah oh there's a moment there is a moment we'll talk about that down the line what a, just what a ludicrous idea for a comedy and so what we get is he goes down to this kid's team and it is currently being coached by Taylor Lautner, who is the, oh, who's the local coach. He's the graphic designer. He's the graphic designer guy who <laughs> doesn't seem to have a kid of his own on the team, which is weird. This film really kind of rubs it in all of our faces, how different things have gone for the Twilight crew, because while Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart have become preeminent actors of their generation, Taylor yes. Lautner is not even good in this. <laughs> oh like, my God. So you've got, you've got Pattinson. He's in the Batman. He's in the lighthouse. He's in Tenet. Mm -hmm. You got Kristen Stewart. Who's done crimes of the future. Spencer, which he played princess Diana in yep. personal shopper, yep. which got all those awards. Right. Yep. And then Lautner, he didn't even reprise his role as shark boy in <laughs> we could be heroes on Netflix. <laughs> like we you didn't even. Yeah. What is he doing? It's tough to be the bad actor in a Happy Madison production, but somehow, somehow he manages. What's going on here is really interesting because it's almost like Adam Sandler was thinking, I don't want to just set aside cash and a savings account for my family and friends. What I'd like to do is make a movie where I mm. cast almost exclusively my relatives. My family and friends. And friends. Like literally his yes. wife. So his wife, his wife plays Kevin James's ex-wife. She has, yes. it's a nothing burger of a role. Adam Sandler's daughter has a small role in it. His nephew has a small role in it. And then after that, it's a lot of the same faces. Kevin James's brother and then Rob Schneider, because Rob Schneider is in all of these things. No David Spade, though. No David Spade, no Chris okay. Rock. You, none none mm. of the big time faces they were that busy. you see in this thing. If you can believe it, this is somehow like a Happy Madison B team second string yeah. yes it's the second string it's, it's the kids football it's the pop warner uh -huh. of their... yep yep and so we get a really paint by numbers story where there's this ragtag football team that isn't very good sean payton comes in takes over as the coach and the next thing you know they start winning but at what cost and yes. taylor lautner sort of stands there wondering like am i really doing the right thing by letting and i'll say it again professional NFL head coach <laughs> of the New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton, take over this team and give the kids new positions and drills. And the whole thing is based around this idea that this is how Payton is going to reconnect with his son right. for whom he has been an absent father because he's been off coaching the Saints and this right, kid's back right. in Texas. And of course, yeah. it's been hard growing up being Sean Payton's kid and playing football when you're Sean <laughs> Payton's football. kid. And, there is actually a scene where it's supposed to be a heart to heart moment. And Sean Payton's like, what do you want to know? Like, what do you want to know about me? He's having this moment where he's trying to connect. And I was like, okay, here comes the heart to heart scene. And the kid looks at him and goes, so why did you kick the onsides kick in the Super Bowl? Oh my God. And I was 
like so it turns out he's exactly like his father well or whatever, not even like not even that he's like he asked the question that i would want to ask sean payton <laughs> but sean payton isn't my father that's been absent in my life for absent. all these times and now i'm living with adam sandler's wife it's crazy i thought that this was going to be more like the kind of character rebuilding stuff that ivan reitman did with howard stern when they did private parts yeah no <laughs> you're saying no to me on this one right it's sort of it's kind of a redemption story this is sort of like the good news bears is what it is is like <laughs> the kids aren't spewing racial slurs which that alone seems like a step in the right direction <laughs> these kids you know they're not the bad kids they just they like football they kind of suck at football the biggest moment in the whole movie is when they score like their first ever touchdown in a game where they lose 38 to 6 <laughs> we just get a a lot of scenes of kids who suck at football montages where they fall over their feet oh, a lot and the ball God. hits them in the face a lot. And, uh. and really, what do you expect out of this movie? Again, there's a reason that when you lose Film Spotting Madness, you watch a Happy Madison production because <laughs> this is the kind of thing you get. No, it couldn't have been a yeah. couple years ago when Adam Sandler released Hubie Halloween, a movie so right. perfectly idiotically tailored for the kind of thing that I like that that, yes. that I will make apologies for that stupid movie all day long. But <laughs> weren't you get didn't you guest star in it? Weren't you in the background no, in some of the scenes? Uh, or? No, but I do have some props from the movie here on my There you go. On See, my so there you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, I have Hubie Halloween memorabilia here at Merrigan's Video Thunderdome. I can tell you that there's not going to be a whole lot of home team memorabilia inhabiting the shelves anytime soon. Do you think that your love of football had any bearing on your enjoyment of the movie either way? Like, do you think you loved it more or hated it more because you love football so much? I think I went into this movie with a lot of goodwill because mm. I was watching a, a movie about kids playing football. And I didn't expect to be as delicate on the film as I ended up being. I just couldn't get angry mm. at the thing. I was like, it's a stupid kids movie where they're playing football. I could be doing a whole lot worse. What was interesting was it was neither really a standard Adam Sandler movie with a lot of the dick and fart jokes or the repetitive gag. We didn't have anybody that was like slow. Yeah, right. <laughs> there, gotcha. were, there weren't any white actors playing other ethnicities. Some of the things that come up other times in Happy Madison. Some of the stuff that Rob Schneider does yep. in like Big Daddy, yep. right? Yeah, exactly. In this movie, he yeah. plays, of course, he's the new stepdad and he's all into eastern medicine and he's kind of the like the hippie guru type this isn't typical happy madison dick and fart joke but it's got just enough of that to kind of also not make it a very enjoyable family movie either oh yeah it's one of those movies again that we've run into mm -hmm. again on this show yep. where you're like you're really unclear who did they make this for it wasn't funny enough to appeal to Adam Sandler's usual crowd. It wasn't family friendly enough to really be a torchbearer for something like the Mighty Ducks or the Sandlot mm -hmm. or even mm -hmm. Little Giants. And so I was left kind of disappointed in a movie that I wanted to hate and couldn't. I wanted to enjoy and also couldn't. I was dumbfounded by the football in the movie because I was pretty sure that the person who was writing how the football happened, like the scores and what ha had never seen football before. <laughs> it was that kind of thing. But then you mean Peyton didn't even like he wasn't even involved in well, consultation with any of the actual plays that he had or anything. Uh, oddly enough, according to the Internet, former Dallas Cowboys tight end Jason Witten, who was an all pro tight end, was involved in the movie as 
like a technical advisor, but I was like, well, but Jason Witten has seen football before. Why is the score like this? What has happened? It was weird. It was a weird thing. So why is the the score 22 to 11? How did they score two offsides? (laughs) (laughs) I have to tell you that I didn't hate the movie. I watched it and was kind of like, okay, like this is cute. I, I enjoy watching kids playing football. I actually appreciated that it wasn't, the bad news bears. I think I liked these kids more because they were the nice kids mm. who just wanted to play mm-hmm. football than the very, yeah. I think, cheap and easy, foul mouth little brat team. It wasn't that yeah. kind of thing. So there was almost a earnestness to the story that I found myself enjoying. And then this movie managed to blow any goodwill that I had for it. When, when at the very end, there was a cameo by the actual... Sean Payton as a janitor wearing a ridiculous oh. wig who shows up oh. and says something to Kevin James about like coach it's so good to have you back uh, it's good to be back I missed you so much uh, I miss you too we really suck without you my eyes rolled oh. as far out of my head as possible <laughs> It was such a grown moment to end the movie on. Uh, no, you know what? If I had to have a tiebreaker, fuck this movie. <laughs> it's Sean Payton fucked it at the end. I don't know what to tell you. I thought maybe um, one of the axes that you grind the most is with uh, Rob Zombie for always putting Sherry Moon Zombie in his movies. Yeah, yeah. And so when when I saw that Sandler was pulling one of these with his own wife, I thought for sure you'd have something to say. Was she as bad as like a She's not Sherry a Moon zombie? It's ridiculous. The weird thing is we could do a bottom five at some point of like bottom five spouse castings because Ooh. Kevin Smith's wife in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, oh, she is yes. not an actress. Yes. Sandler's wife in this, she is not an actress. Whenever Melissa McCarthy has her husband, who is a funny writer, but can't act or definitely hold the scene against her kind of does these like walk-ons. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't know. So I guess if you own a production company and you have the money to burn and you make (laughs) a lot of these silly movies with your friends, which look, I can't blame Adam Sandler for doing the things he does. Those grown-up movies are stupid. They also look really fun to make. It would be like if you and I had a few million dollars to go up to the Lakes region and spend a couple of days recording our Dick and Fart I cannot blame the guy for doing it. And there are people who have been watching his movies throughout their adolescence and into their adulthoods. I am of that age. Adam Sandler's from the town I graduated high school in. I have (laughs) shamelessly enjoyed a lot of Adam Sandler movies. I, of course, like a good, serious drama with stakes and all the stuff that my film spotting friends are so accustomed to and used to. And what makes that podcast so great and frankly so much better than ours is that those are real movies about people who do real things and discussed by people who know what they're talking about. I have just, I have just seen happy Gilmore a bunch, right? So, okay. Okay. All in all, I guess this wasn't the the miserable time that it could have been. I honestly think in mm. large part because Sandler wasn't on the screen. This is just a really easy breezy, quick, not quite paint by the numbers kids sports movie. And the other thing you know about me is I'm really kind of a sucker for family films. Yeah. Uh, sort yeah. of unashamedly. I like family movies a lot of the time. Infamously, you know, I was in love with Hocus Pocus before it was cool. Right. I mean, I have been ringing the Hocus Pocus bell for as long as you've known me. 
Only yeah. now is it kind of the cool thing to do. I, I have a soft spot for this kind of movie. I love the Sandlot. I will watch all the Mighty Ducks. It's fine. I can I can get down with this kind of thing. This one just sort of let me down because it wasn't enough of any of those parts. So Oh, it let you down because Sean Payton showed up in a bad wig at the end and said a stupid line. I, I, yeah, I was out. I was out. So my takeaway from Home Team... What just what a fucking weird idea for a movie. That's what a weird <laughs> fucking idea for a movie. Well, thanks Mike for weathering home team both for our podcast and for our friends at Film Spotting. Yeah, I want to thank the Film Spotting listeners and everybody who's participated in Film Spotting Madness over the years. I have a lot of fun with it each season and Adam and Josh and Sam and I we get back and forth about it. I always have a couple audio appearances on their show, which is a real treat for me. I love it. And so I'm hoping not to lose next time as I did this time in my own game. So uh, really, thanks to them, but, but good luck to me. So, Mike, it sounds like in thinking about bottom five teams, which was the idea that we had to pair with home team sure bottom five teams sort of obvious the team and home team actually wouldn't end up here unless it was just because they were boring yeah they probably wouldn't be anywhere near this list i imagine in your thinking about this you probably just thought about bad teamwork people that didn't get along something along those lines what was your approach on this yeah i decided to challenge myself a little bit and i skipped over sports teams for my list completely with an exception that i will tell you <laughs> about but we there is always one i, I make the rules <laughs> i break the rules this is our goddamn <laughs> podcast but we just spent all this time talking about home team and of course the movies are full of bad news bears and cool runnings mm-hmm. and whatever the fuck is yeah. going on in teen wolf and i just decided to go another way i didn't want to talk about sure. five more sports teams so outside of the notable exception of my number five pick i ignored <laughs> athletic teams but i am curious to hear how you approached the list i approached it in a very similar way but i have a couple sports teams on here but not ones that are at the center of the film okay if that makes any sense i would say that out of my bottom five lists that i've ever had this is the one that kind of just played very fast and loose with the rules good so i i'll just i'll begin with my my number five and this is the busload of dead high school football players from Beetlejuice, oh, directed wow. by Tim Burton. I adore this movie, and I do think that it's one of Burton's <laughs> all-time best. But as fun as it is, you know, it has very dark subject matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the really likable lead characters played by Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin die within the first, what, 10 minutes, yep. right? And then you're forced to, like, ride along with them as they try to figure out how to be ghosts and scare the bejesus out of the people that have moved into their house but it sticks its foot into a slightly icky space when it tries to mine comedy from a collection of newly dead teenage football players (laughs) and it was in the scene when they were in that paper pushers office there juno Uh their their sort of agent to the afterlife (laughs) while that character is wonderful and that scene is really great to kind of imagine the afterlife or purgatory as a sort of bureaucratic nightmare Uh makes all the Uh sense in the world The usage of a team of teenage footballers that seemed perhaps too closely based on that 1970 tragedy of the Marshall University football team that in that plane crash. I know 
See, like some people come at me and they'll be like, oh, but it's, you know, it was a bus crash and the coach lived and blah, blah, blah. Like all the details are different. Yeah. They're not different. Yeah. <laughs> I think to their credit, Burton and screenwriters Michael McDowell, Larry Wilson and Warren Skern, they bring them back at the very end for yeah. that sunny conga line yep. thing with, yep. you know, which is honestly a wonderful scene at yeah. the end of the movie. And I like that they bring them back. Were I anyone even remotely related to the Marshall folks, you know, or anything like mm. that, I would be pretty cheesed off about the usage of that in the movie. And so for that reason, it did. It made the final position in my bottom five. And for bottom five teams, I think it's a good one to mark. I said I had an exception to my list and I do. My number five pick is a sports team because for me, even though I set up these rules, some things are too stupid to be disqualified from how stupid they are. <laughs> and nothing fits that bill quite like vampire baseball. For the oh. love of all that is holy, the vampire baseball team in Twilight so has good. to be the dumbest moment in cinema history. I mean, in cinema sports, at least. Uh, these sexy vampires love baseball <laughs> so much <laughs> that they put on their old-timey pinstripes and play against each other during thunderstorms. So no one can... Yeah, because... <laughs> so no one can hear the bats they're, they're so super fucking strong, they have to cover their epic baseball smashes oh. with thunder. And hold on, because this is important, right? I am here to say, get the fuck out of here with this stupid all-vampire <laughs> backyard baseball team. Because first... The bat and ball are not fucking vampires. They're a regular bat and ball. So if you're so good at smashing a baseball that you need to do it during a thunderstorm, then the first goddamn time you hit the ball, the ball explodes. The bat would shatter into a thousand <laughs> tiny toothpicks and it's game over. One one pitch, super vampire smash, game over. Everybody get the fuck out of here. So even that doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> Secondly, have you ever in your life tried to organize a backyard sporting event with family and friends. It is a goddamn nightmare. I have tried to play kickball with you. Maybe the closest I ever came to choking you out was when you were too drunk to play kickball because there's always somebody who's too drunk to play the whatever. There's the aunt that's yelling at everybody. There's the person who's way too serious about keeping score. It fucking sucks. Everything about vampire baseball sucks. I was not the drunk one. That was someone else. I was the one that was trying to keep score. I just want to be Wild really drunk, clear. But you were bad at it because you were drunk. Perhaps, but I mean, I'm just telling Which you. Which explains everything you need to know about family and friends playing backyard exactly. sports. It's fucking miserable. So yeah, these glitter pyres having their backyard baseball team is dumb as hell. And so it sneaks onto my otherwise sports-free list because it just kind of had to. I would say you didn't cheat at all. That is not a sports team. <laughs> no, <laughs> not even, no. They don't even really play baseball accurately. No, like, it, no, no, it's, it's not. dumb. <laughs> well, I actually do have a sports team at my number four, and it's the real Washington Sentinels in the movie The Replacements. I've talked about this movie before from 2000, directed by Howard Ditch. So I'll keep this really brief, but the original Washington Sentinels, who are a bunch of crybaby millionaires fronted by chief jackass quarterback Eddie Martell, played with all the smarminess ever by uh, actor Brett Cullen. Martell and his crew do almost nothing other than antagonize others and then set an incredibly low bar for cinematic sports teams as the only thing they seem to be able to do right is push poor Keanu Reeves's truck over a bunch of times. That's about it. It's about the only thing in that and they get in a bar fight. That's it. 
But these guys don't actually play anything. They don't whatever. And, and if you think about it, they're getting replaced by a disgraced college quarterback, a convict, two bodyguards, a sumo wrestler, a preacher, an insane cop, and a gambling addicted wiry ex soccer player. That's <laughs> who we replace these professional athletes with. <laughs> so I'm going to say the original Washington Sentinels, number four on my list, bottom five teams. I'm wondering at this point, do we just need to convert to being like an all replacements podcast? Welcome yes, to the replacement always, replacements. It. Yes. Yes. Each episode focuses on a 60 second segment of the film from start to finish. Let's if that. I think that's perfect. Okay. Well, we No, I think we're going to we're going to have to elevate the replacements in with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We can't talk about. It's now the replacements we can't talk about. We should definitely retire at this point, the replacements. It's too top of mind for me all the time. The first thing you said was teams, and I'm like, those fucking Sentinels. <laughs> Damn you, Sentinels. Well, I guess while we're talking about what could be considered cinema sacrilege, and sidebar, if film jiu-jitsu doesn't work out, our new podcast is going to be called Cinema Sacrilege. That's it. But it may seem like cinema sacrilege to have anything from Quentin Tarantino's reservoir dogs appear on a bottom five but let's get serious as far as criminal enterprises go there aren't many that cock it up as hardcore as the reservoir <laughs> dogs right these guys are supposed to be slick professional badass criminals that come together for this big heist they have cool nicknames like mr white and mr blue they spin all these cool tarantino dialogue scenes where they argue about madonna's like a virgin Everything about them is supposed to be so awesome, except once you get past all the, the, the nicknaming <laughs> and the bullshitting, they look around at this team of criminals and what they actually accomplish. It becomes clear that this is a bottom five criminal enterprise because absolutely right off the jump. First off, there's an undercover cop in the group, right? You kind of <laughs> fucked it up from Jump Street. Like you're all you already suck at this. you got a cop in your criminal team. <laughs> OK, there's that. And then. Pretty big screw up right there. Then the actual job comes, which results in everybody either being shot, caught, or running from being shot or caught. They suck <laughs> in crime. The Reservoir Dogs, as much as we love this team of criminals, they actually do very much suck at doing crime. They're, they're good at walking in slow motion, but the Reservoir Dogs absolutely suck as criminals. And so for me, they make it to my list on number four in what is actually kind of a proud tradition of shitty criminals. You know, this goes back to the lady sure. killers. There's all kinds of mm -hmm. teams of crooks that are bad at yep. it. This was the one for me because they are set up as being so awesome and then they suck at it so hard. They're the inverted Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have all the cool and whatever, sort of, mm -hmm. but they're completely ineffective at what they're supposed to be doing. And I almost chose them as well wow. for my list, but I kept them off because I thought you might. Okay. <laughs> sure right. enough, you did. I am not a big fan of the movie to begin with. Okay. So I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. My takeaway from it was exactly what you just said. These are a bunch of idiots. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's great to know that in the intervening many years since I've seen yeah. it, I'm still correct. It, it works great as a movie. I mean, that is kind of the point. It yeah. works great as a film. It, well, for some it does. Yeah, I, I, it works for, for me. I for think, you. I think generally people are positive on, on Reservoir Dogs as a Almost as a everybody film. is. Yeah, sure. No, absolutely so, they yeah, are. The, yeah. the thing, I'm not. Yeah, but but not because these guys aren't good at crime. <laughs> no, they just no, happen to not no, be that wasn't why. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, a, a, yeah. Anyway, that's a great choice. I agree with you on so many levels. I have a very similar one at my number two. 
which I'm just going to bump up because I think we can keep the conversation going. Mm. So I'm just going to move my number two to my number three okay. here. And it's the Colonial Marines and Aliens, 1986, uh-huh. James Cameron's amazing sequel to Alien. It might be one of the greatest sci-fi horror action movies of all time. And it's also one of the most rare sequels that is as good as its predecessor. Uh-huh. But it hangs a bit too much on the pure ineptitude of this band of allegedly tough-as-nails Marines who accompany Ripley to the, the new planet that's been overrun by these uh, nasty xenomorphs. They're cocky and they're brash, crass, seemingly more into posturing than actually carrying out a military operation to search and rescue civilian colonists. So you can see why I think they're very much like the Reservoir Dogs. Uh-huh. They're the same thing. Yeah. They were more interested in being pumped up jarheads with talking about how great they are and how tough they are and everything. And then the first sign of action, most of them die. Wiped out like immediately. And now I know that the point of that isn't because they're inept. The point was supposed to be that having as many xenomorphs as there are makes it even scarier than the first movie. Yeah. These things are going to keep coming and yeah. they're merciless, etc. But really by the end of the movie, there's only one guy left Hicks. <laughs> Uh-huh. And he's hurt pretty bad. <laughs> and the all of the other Marines are dead. But who lives? The civilian, a little girl, and half an android. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one Marine that's like barely hanging on. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, out of the original 10, those people living, eh, you know, I think it's pretty clear that the, uh, the Marines and aliens definitely belonged on this list. I couldn't agree more so much so that I left it <laughs> off my list because I was positive you were going to include it. I actually, in the same vein, I also thought of the team of monster assassins that shows up in Predator 2. They show up all teched out and they're going to chase the oh, predator down right. with their freeze guys, guns and yeah. the lot. Yeah, and it. Yeah. Gary Busey's team. That's right. And Jake, Jake Busey's team? There's abuse. Gary Busey's team. Oh, yeah. Well, the abuse is loose in that yeah. movie. But, and similarly, the monster just wipes the fucking floor with them. So I almost, right, I almost edged that into my list, but I was sure that you would do our Colonial Marines. So I can always count on you. You never let me down. <laughs> so what's your number now? Okay, so you're at three. Has there ever been a team? Worse at their jobs, both collectively and as individuals, than the Channel 4 News team of Ron Burgundy, Brian Fantana, Chimp Kind, and Brick Tamlin in Hmm. Anchorman. I would argue there is not. Well, for all of us here at Channel 4 News, I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. And thanks for stopping by. But mainly, stay classy. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy, I'm Ron Burgundy. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's hilarious. They are so funny. You have had Anchorman Halloween costumes, Rick Tamlin riding on his furry tractor, mm. Ron Burgundy, who will read whatever's on the teleprompter. It's amazing. I didn't even think about how bad they are at their jobs because they're such a good team. Like they're a good team together, yeah. but individually they all are absolutely awful at what they do. Yeah, they're terrible at doing the news. That's the, <laughs> They really are. Really, oh my really, God, I didn't even think yeah, of it. Yeah, so <laughs> when I stop and think about teams in cinema that are as bad at their job as possible, my first stop was with the Channel 4 News team. So, Oh, that's great. That's terrific. Awesome stuff. My number two 
is perhaps some blasphemy, uh, honestly. And it's sort of similar to yours in some respects with uh, Anchorman. But these guys are just really bad at what they do. And that would be the classic Universal Monsters in The Monster Squad, 1987's comedy child what, what is it who is it made for i'm not even sure it's a child endangerment movie yeah it's mostly child yeah, yeah. like it's like goonies with with universal monsters mm-hmm. in it it's a fun 80s movie for fun. sure best known for the line wolfman's got not i think it's well loved overall by most people but if you think about it as a team the universal monsters which include uh, dracula the wolfman the mummy gilman which is the creature from the black mm-hmm. lagoon and before he defects to the other side, Frankenstein's monster, they all make a pretty crappy team. <laughs> you know, it could be Dracula's leadership because he's sort of an insecure dictator over everything, right? It could just be that this is a kid's movie and you can't have the kids lose. So they're going to get beat by kids, right. even though they're these horrible monsters. And I think because it's a kid's movie, it's acceptable. It's fine. You know, OK, yeah. I get it. But I would love to see a version of this story with these creatures being allowed to really do their scary business and be their best selves. In The Monster Squad, you know, writer-director Fred Decker, who's best known for his awesome movie, Night of the Creeps, Mm -hmm. and Shane Black, who was his co-writer on this one, who is a frequent collaborator of uh, Decker's. Black, of course, is best known for the Lethal Weapon movies. They give us these kiddie versions of the universal monsters and they're just silly and sort of goofy and they don't get along and nothing really works right and i would like it better if we got the universal monsters and they proved to have more balls than nards yeah for sure well i think what you get when you have something like that is more like fright night where there's an actual dangerous vampire next door but you're right. Having those iconic universal monsters Correct. as almost right. like this really great A-team of monsters. Right. And I know there was some effort first with like the mummy. They were going to do cruises, Ooh. the mummy, and it was going to be the, the, A potential the universal uh-huh. monster verse. Uh-huh. I think they were going to yep. call it the monster verse. And that honestly, I would have thought that would have been cool to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think it was going that way. But as a team, bottom two. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> bottom <So>. two. <laughs> the monster squad. Well, you mentioned it before, but at my number two, this team made it here because of how bad they irritate the shit out of me. And that's mm. Danny Ocean's crew, specifically in Ocean's 12. Because oh, okay. <laughs> that's the one where Julia Roberts plays Tess Ocean playing Julia Roberts. And that is just the most self-satisfied, idiotic Hollywood circle jerk nonsense I can think of. My Talk about my eyes rolling out of my head. Man, my eyes came <laughs> out of my head at that movie. I am still trying to find them and in like a lot of people i had a really great time with steven soderbergh's oceans 11 Mm. the first one it's a really fun movie but when you hire a screenwriter who's only ever written a paul walker time travel movie before you get oceans 12 that's what you get and so dumb ideas where you turn a really cool team of criminals into a hollywood meta high five where she bumps into her pal bruce willis no thank you movie. Yeah. No thank you at all. I know. All-time worst movie teams and I'm going with this. I get it. It seems crazy when you stop and think about all of the teams that cinema has to give us that I would put this at number 2, but it is just so obnoxious to me that this was actually the thing I thought of first 
when you gave me the topic. My brain didn't even go to the bad news bears. It went right to like all the <laughs> fucking Ocean's 12 team. That's interesting because we have, we, we continue with the way that we're talking about these teams to be on the same track. Because if you think about what I was saying about the Monster Squad, it's the same thing. It's a great team. Like it's mm-hmm. it, conceptually, it's a great team. We knew that Danny Ocean's team in Ocean's Eleven is fantastic. Yeah, there's a whole proof of concept in that first movie. But it gets completely mishandled. Very similar number two to my own number two. I like that. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. I'm interested in hearing what your number one is because mine is an obvious one and probably my most obvious one. Mine is not. So we're about to have a oh, good time. Okay, all right. All right, so mine's mine's the DC superheroes in Justice League. Whether it's 2017 or 2021, whether it's Joss Whedon or Zack Snyder, I don't care which version anyone prefers. Although I find Whedon's brighter, lighter, and funnier version infinitely more tolerable than Snyder's joyless, overlong, and excessive slog. This movie or whatever movies, however you want to talk about them, straight up destroy the much-loved superheroes that make up the core of the DC universe. I, I have to make an admission, I am more of a DC guy than Marvel, at least when it comes to the comics and the characters. And I get that Marvels are allegedly more human and more relatable or whatever. But with the exception of Spider-Man and maybe Captain America, fewer considered as iconic as Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman before Marvel became a cinematic juggernaut Mm -hmm. with its cinematic universe. So when DC entrusted fucking cartoonist Zack Snyder, I don't even know (laughs) what to call him, to attempt to do what Marvel was doing, it was decided that iconography and edginess would be the earmarks of the franchise and that the characters would almost completely be robbed of their joy. Batman, already too dark after Christopher Nolan's treatment of the character became laughable in this beefy Ben Affleck form. And Henry Cavill, he looks the part, but he just seemed way too serious as Superman and then commits like the cardinal sin of killing someone in his first movie. And then their first team up was absolutely horrifically bad. The Batman versus Superman movie. And the heroes were reduced to like growling, brawling idiots who for a moment were given this lighthearted scene with Wonder Woman, mm. which she appears. And her appearance sort of like maybe buoyed the whole damn thing because then she came out with her movie and it was all right. Yeah. Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman. You know, I give Patty Jenkins credit. I give Chris Pine a lot of credit. It's a great there. Yeah. yeah. But holy fuck did it go off the rails <laughs> with the Justice League. What the fuck happened? You only had two central heroes because they killed Superman in the last movie. So now you just have Batman and Wonder Woman. And then you get these ass clowns playing like uh, The Flash and Aquaman and and uh, Cyborg. None of this works. None of this makes sense to me. It's as if everybody, they look okay enough, but they none of them have cast chemistry. None of it comes together. This is supposed to be the greatest heroes, the best heroes. And for a long time in comics, they were. But when they showed up on screen, they had a terrible villain to fight against, which was like a rough draft of Tim Curry's darkness character from Ridley Scott's legend. Mm -hmm. Steppenwolf is an embarrassment. It's dreadful. It's a dreadful film. It's a dreadful presentation of a great team of heroes. And it absolutely belongs 
on number one of every list, every <laughs> bottom list, never mind bottom five euros, bottom everything related to film. <laughs> I couldn't get all the way through it and never mind the Snyder Cut. I don't understand what the hubbub was about, but I couldn't agree more with you on any of it. I think what's important here is that these are great characters. They really are, right? If you think about Christopher Reeve as Superman, mm-hmm. In his movies with Richard Donner that he did, and even even the second movie, even the third movie, even the fourth movie, you still loved Christopher Reeve Mm -hmm. as Superman, as bad as those movies might have gotten. If you think about Michael Keaton as Batman, the excitement and the energy of those characters and what they brought to them, and it's so iconic, the symbols and everything there. These would be great to see with energy and and chemistry and vitality applied to them instead of this slow motion bullshit so yeah that's i don't want this to be an entire show about how much i can't stand (laughs) most of what that guy puts out but you know that was my number one the entire career of Zack snyder (laughs) excellent well once upon a time on this show we did a bottom five directors and Zack snyder was my number one on that list so i I couldn't i couldn't be any more there with you on that wow oh okay my number one it's it's different than the other things that we have talked about In order to reveal my number one pick, I think it's important to circle back to how I defined what a team is. For me, simply, a team is three or more people working together for a common cause. Had to be three, two people as a pair or a duo. So a team, it's three or more Mm -hmm. working together. And so with that fact established, it became clear to me that the only possible number one choice for a bottom five team is... The human centipede. <laughs> Three people attached, ass to mouth, and being trained by Dieter Laser to do tricks in the backyard like a Rottweiler. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I already think that a three-legged race is fairly undignified. So there are teams that I have not wanted to be a part of, teammates that I couldn't stand, tasks that I wanted none of, but being attached snack door to back door with a couple of strangers. Uh-uh. No, thank you. I want out. For me, my number one, the worst team you could ever possibly be a part of, it's the Yankees and then the Human Centipede. Yeah. And then the Human Centipede. I, I swear, I thought for sure on this list you were just going to give us five movies the, the with the Yankees. And I, I kind of wish you had done it. But Oh, me but, too. So do I now. But yes, at number one. Oh, man. Not to leave a bad taste in your mouth, but I'm going to end this list with <laughs> the human centipede. And I will see myself out. Snack door to back door. Jason, here we are. We're going to try a new segment on this episode of Film Jitsu. Mm. You and I were feeling like maybe our staff picks were getting a little book reporty, and we weren't having as much fun <laughs> recommending our titles as we thought we might. And part of that, I think, is because there was an awful lot of decorum in our staff picks. Yeah, yeah, we were you very, we were movie, very, yes. I would talk yeah. about a movie, and then. It flies in the face of what our entire dynamic is, which is we have a friendship based on antagonism. Yes. Which is the conceit of our entire podcast. And so we wanted to have 
a new segment where we had the option to kind of argue out some movies. And I think it will serve ultimately as something of a staff pick because what we're going to do is a segment we're going to call Kick 2, Pick 2, where one of us will present four movies and then we argue which two movies we're going to keep and which two movies we are going to discard in the the dumpster fire of cinema history, never Mm -hmm. to be seen again. And so that is the setup. You get to give our first (laughs) Kick 2, Pick 2. Without further ado, what are the four movies we're going to talk about today? This is the Tom Hanks edition, part one, okay. is what I'm calling first it. First sequence. And, <laughs> yes, first, <laughs> first sequence. Exactly right. Snack hold a back hold. So yes, we're going to pick two Tom Hanks movies out of four great Tom Hanks movies. And then we're going to kick two of them into wherever Nick Stahl went. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're going to put them there. So they are Big, Toy Story, The Burbs, and Saving Private Ryan. What do we do? Oh, I like what you did here. So representative of his whole body Mm -hmm. of work. You really threw me with that Saving Private Ryan because as we're going through, I'm thinking like, "Ah, man, that fourth movie doesn't stand a chance. And then you drop Saving Private Ryan on me. And you're like, oof. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I can narrow it down. The Burbs stays. I love The Burbs. That stays. <laughs> I recently met Courtney Gaines uh, at a, a drive-in theater. He was there for Children of the Corn. And everybody yeah. was there to talk about Children of the Corn. I asked him if Gaines was, is that some kind of Slavic thing? He, you know, so. <laughs> he, did he get the he, reference? He sure did. I think, I think <laughs> I am not the first person to make that reference to Courtney Gaines. But, so easy one for me. I'm keeping, I'm keeping The Burbs. Wow. Yeah, I'm keeping the verbs. So there are three movies on this list that I really, really love and one I don't. And the one that I would kick would be the burbs. Are you you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. No, I don't think the burbs is as great as you do by any stretch. I really don't. So what you mean is there's a thing we're talking about where I'm right and you're wrong. That's the... We're, we always. Got... <laughs> I mean, that's always the case, right? No. Isn't it? Well, so... when it comes to the no, when it comes I, I to mean, the birds, the birds is just not a terribly well acted or a terribly funny movie. Rick Dukeman is annoying. I find it grating. Oh, like man. a lot of the movie is grating. And as far as you know, Joe Dante's career, I like Joe Dante yeah. as like a cinema enthusiast. Yeah, but I don't like a lot of his work. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Like he, I don't think he's a particularly great director. And I don't think that the Bur- the Burbs is good for him, I think. But I don't think it's a particularly great movie. For me, it's got that Tom Hanks when he mm-hmm. was doing the comedy thing, which I love. Yeah, but of there's others that he did that Of course, that it's, it's kind of the dark and spooky thing, which <laughs> sure. appeals to my sensibilities. So that's why Absolutely. for yeah. me. But I'm recognizing that by putting the Burbs here because it's personal, I'm going to mm-hmm. be leaving out a really great film because you are right. The other three movies are kind of objectively the better (laughs) films. Sure. I just happen. This is the fun of kick to pick two is this is, you know, we get to pick your faves. Uh, Yeah. Ooh, I'm having a tough one. Big stays for me. Big stays. No way I could kick big. I recently, I watched big, not that long ago with my daughter. She had never seen it. And I I watched it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't nearly as enraptured by the movie as I remembered being. It had been a long time mm. since I see it. I guess there wasn't as much of that zany fish out of water stuff. This time around, I found all the... <laughs> you mean splash? Yeah. I, I found all of the the sexual tension between a child and an adult woman 
a little awkward. Yeah, yeah. a little icky. I couldn't. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, okay. All right. But then, like, just have a yeah. good time. Shut the fuck up and have a good time. I can have a good time in a movie. So I don't know. I for some reason even like that because when I was that age, that's all I ever wanted. So I, mean, I completely understood. These, it. these are the kind of hard choices you have to make in pick two, kick two. I'm going to take Toy Story out, and the reason mm. is because there are still three other Toy Story movies potentially that I could watch that are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Toy Story is such a great flick. So I'm going to take that one out based on a technicality. I'm with you. I, mm, I'm with you. I think it's hard to imagine never watching Saving Private Ryan ever again. But then am I just turning into... I would never, I would never watch it again. Am I turning into everybody's dad like right here in real time? Is that like... <laughs> yes, it's such are. a dad you movie, isn't are. it? Yeah. Yeah, you really are. I will never watch it again. The mm. first 10 minutes, 20 minutes ensured that I will never watch it again. Sure. I, I can't. It's incredibly effective. Yep. It's impossibly well rendered. It's phenomenal and powerful and so powerful that I never ever want to watch it again. Yeah. So wow. I've seen bits and pieces of the latter part of the movie, which also has some moments in it that are so harrowing. Uh, yeah, I'm getting like goosebumps just thinking about yeah. that. So I'm going to put Saving Private Ryan away and I'm going to put the burbs away. Uh, no. So you're going big in Toy Story? I'm going big in Toy Story. All right. I am okay. going. All right. I thought I was kicking Toy Story. I really did, but no. The one thing that has become very obvious, it's a great thing that we didn't decide that we had to come to a consensus for this or the podcast <laughs> yes, would never end. Holy the, shit. That we just, we'd punch Holy each shit. Other. No, that we would have nobody left listening. But yeah, yeah. I think, so for me, Saving Private Ryan is such a, a phenomenal example of what can be done with the craft of filmmaking it's oh, hard for me to imagine never being able to kind of feast on that again, recognizing mm. that you are really putting yourself through something. Oh, yeah. Also, yeah. as you know, I have spent an awful lot of time in my life with World War II vets. And so mm-hmm. I've heard a lot right. of stories. I've, I used to take care of a former German POW. You know, he had an American that was, was kept in a German POW camp. So I've had a lot of kind of real world exposure to our, our world war two vets. So I don't know. I, boy, this is, this is a real big bite. You have, I think, I think I, I think I have to keep saving private Ryan as, as much as okay. it absolutely kills me to let big go. And I think at the end of the day, big is probably the right pick over the burbs for me. I love that. Did we pick Completely opposite movies. Complete opposite. Wow. Good for us. Okay. Look at that. Well, this is cool because this is what we didn't plan it this way, but here's what it means. It means that no. our listeners have a chance now to jump in. And I think we should yep. do this. And solve this we fight. Should vote. We vote. Uh, in, in a case where we very organically come out with two different picks, <laughs> let's leave it to the listeners. Hit us up on Twitter and let us know, Team Mike or Team Santo, who are you going with? We'll let our, our listeners decide. Team Santo is big in Toy Story, and Team Merrigan is the burbs and saving Private Ryan. Where do you land? So what we'll do here, Jay, is we will invite our listeners over to filmjitsu.net. We'll put up a poll. We'll put the link available on Twitter. Follow us there. And let's let the listeners decide. We'll, we'll give yeah. the results in an upcoming episode. Who is right? Jason's yeah. big in Toy Story or Mike's the burbs and saving Private Ryan. I'm not going to lie. I might end up voting for you in this one. I don't really know. This is, I already love this so much more than staff picks. This is great.
Jay, we are at that time in the show where I get to reveal to you what movie you're going to watch for our next episode. And this is a mm. little strange because usually I'm coming hot off the heels of a movie that you gave me. And so this is usually a time where I'm seeking revenge for some horrible atrocity. That's not <laughs> what's going on here today because my film last time was given to me because I am a giant loser and the guys over <laughs> at the film spotting podcast made me watch it. So I kind of have the world in front of me. I can go any direction for really any reason right now. But I was thinking a little bit about home team which is about mm. football, a game of strategy, a game of technique, a game of offense and defense. And it got me thinking, the old line, the best offense is a good defense. Mm. And so the movie I'm going to give you today, <laughs> I'm going to give it to you to make sure that you don't ever give it to me. Ah, okay. Because I yep. fucking hate this movie. Okay. I would like you to watch, and I think you're going to be mad at me here, 1995's NC-17, Larry Clark-directed Kids. Oh, you suck. What the fuck, dude? Oh. I hate this movie. This, this movie, there's only one other movie that's kind of in this area. That would probably make me as angry. Uh-huh. And it's a movie called Elephant by Gus Van Zandt. Yes. Uh-huh. Where, where teenagers are so poorly portrayed. Uh-huh. Where they're so, I feel so exploited. This feel- I feel like they're really exploited. And their tragedy and their things that, that they're going through in real life are treated as eye candy in some ways. This movie is horrifically offensive to me. Mm-hmm. This, this kid's movie. Yep. I would never have done this to you. This is ugly. Yes. Uh, this movie is ugly. <laughs> I fucking yeah. hate it. You're, you know I'm going to have to throw Irreversible at uh-huh. you. Now. Oh, like, man. Like, I've it's like right it. away. I've never watched <laughs> like, it. I hate New York City. What are you doing? Uh, well. <laughs> Jesus, man. <laughs> blame Coach Sean Payton. Because if there is anything uh, that I have learned from sports is that trite metaphors are pretty much all it's about. And so <laughs> the best offense is a good defense. And so to ensure there that I never in my life have to watch kids again because i will never watch it on my own accord the only way i would ever have to watch it is for film jitsu because of you so this is like i'm taking out like an insurance policy that your wife will never walk in on you when you have that on screen thanks very much for that mike my wife has this unbelievable ability to always walk in whenever the worst possible thing is on the screen if you are jason's wife please send your feedback to mike at filmjitsu.net this one's on me (laughs) There's going to be a bottom five for this. What's it going to be? Well, the bottom five, because I am nothing if not a black hole of creativity, is we're, we're going to do bottom five kids. We're just going to do bottom five kids. Of course. Of all of yes. the things that we could do for this film, I figured we're going to want to get the fuck out of talking about kids as fast as You're possible. Right. So let's just talk Fair about enough. the bottom five kids. Great. All right, great. All right. So as always, from snack door to back door, we've been your hosts. I am Jay. And I am Mike. We'll see you next time. Snack door to back door. Snack door to back door. Tom Hanks edition part one, you go the first sequence. <laughs> <laughs>